No playing. Hello, everyone, and welcome to D20 Dudes, a tabletop role-playing podcast where the die decides our topic. I am Dylan, and this week we are going to be talking about the Pathfinder Animal Companions, which I see glossed over kind of a lot in Pathfinder games where they say, oh, it's just an animal and it comes along with you, it gets its own turn, whatever, which isn't quite how it works. Animal companions can be very big for certain classes like druids or rangers or in the terms of um, familiars. It can be wizards, that kind of thing. Like There are classes that gain companions and it is important to understand how they work. So we're going to go through a little bit of how that works and how to use an animal companion not only in your day-to-day, because of course role-playing, it's your animal companion, but also in combat. Um, now in terms of role-playing, um, to get that out of the way, whether you want to play your animal companion and role-play them alongside your own character, or if the GM is going to take control of that, that's that's kind of between you and the GM, and it's kind of up to what kind of animal companion you have. Because in terms of intelligence, you've generally got two types of animal companions. You've got the first type being a non-sentient animal companion, the animal level intelligence companion. This would be something that has an intelligence score of less than three, which means it cannot understand or comprehend any language. It is basically just an animal that is trained, whether it is magically bound to you in some way or not. It is basically just the level of intelligence that a trained dog would have. They can follow certain commands because they understand a certain stimulus and they are trained to respond in a certain way to that stimulus, but they're not necessarily intelligent. And then on the other hand, you do have intelligent animal companions where if they have an intelligence score of three or above, they can understand at least one language, meaning even if they can't communicate back to you and even if they're not like a fluent poet or something to that degree. They do understand language. It's not just they're trained to respond to a specific thing. They do understand you and they are going to react accordingly. And in this way, an animal companion will not necessarily follow your instructions to the letter because they're not going to necessarily, or I'm sorry, they're not going to needlessly put themselves into danger just because you gave them a command to do so. But In any other instance, this animal companion is going to have your best interests at heart and is going to follow your commands to the best of its ability. Whether you want to roleplay that or you want your GM to roleplay that, depending on levels of intelligence, is really going to be between you and your GM and how you and the rest of your group want that to play out. I've seen some people who who say, I just want to play my character and I want to interact with my companion as if they were another NPC. And I've seen people who say, well, no, this is my animal companion. I should roleplay them. They are part of my character. And both schools of thought are completely valid. It's just entirely up to you and your group how you want to play this out. Now, in terms of the level of your animal companion, it is going to be your character's druid level. In terms of how this works, a lot of classes that gain an animal companion, it's going to be whatever level they're classes is going to be their effective druid level uh some of them it may be a little bit less like maybe the druid level minus three in certain circumstances i think that's the way it is for the ranger Uh, but most animal companion classes are going to just treat their level as if it were druid levels for the purpose of going down the table and gaining statistics for their animal companions Um, 
really the major differences just come in um, where a druid can get an animal companion at level one. Um, certain other classes may not be able to do that. So they may do things a little bit differently. It'll be from class to class. Um, so depending on what class you're playing, just look at that and see what it says. Animal companions can be any number of things. There is a huge list from dinosaurs to wild boars to large cats, giant insects, chameleons, crocodiles, ostriches, uh, tortoises. Like there's a huge list and you're going to see a lot of very common ones like wolves and bears and often um, rams. I see those a lot. There's going to be some common ones, but there is a big list of fully statted out animal companions, and they each have their own set of stats. Their natural armor, the types of bite attacks that they have, whether they can grab or not, um, their speeds being swim speed and stuff, uh, their intelligence and ability scores. Look for something that is going to fit your character and how you want to play them well. Uh, as well as something that is going to be appropriate for your campaign. Like, obviously, if you're going to be playing a campaign that mostly takes place within the Eld elven forest of Dueldenvarden, you're not going to see a whole lot of camels. A camel is not really going to make a whole lot of sense, so work with your GM on what could be a reasonable animal for your companion to be, uh, as well as getting appropriate stats for the kind of things that you're going to attempt to accomplish with them. At first level, your companion will have two hit dice, a base attack bonus of plus one, a fortitude save of plus three, a reflex save of plus three, a will save of plus zero, two skills, and one feat. Your, your, your animal companion is going to gain a number of skill points that can be put into a set skill list that they have access to, this being acrobatics, climb, escape artist, fly, intimidate, perception, stealth, survival, and swim. Up until you get the point of an animal companion having an intelligence level of 10, they're just going to get a certain amount of skill points and you're going to allocate them to those skills that are in that list um, as, they, as you level up. If they do get to 10, then they are a fully intelligent sentient creature, like basically as intelligent as a normal human, and they're just going to gain skill levels uh, and skill ranks as they level up plus intelligence and skill ranks, and they will be able to add them to whatever skills they want. Just whatever skills you can reasonably see, like your hawk or whatever you're using. I wouldn't say they're going to do a whole lot in like perform in terms of like playing musical instruments, but you guys you do you. Just make sure it's reasonable. Uh, and they will also gain one feat. There is a list of animal feats that only animal companions and familiars can get. They can select other feats, but they are unable to utilize certain feats like martial weapon proficiency, and any feat that has a requirement of BAB plus one, they cannot select until they gain their second feat at level three, at three hit dice, I should say. They will gain no extra natural armor or strength or dex. They will gain one bonus trick that they can be taught to do tricks as animal companions or like training animals. Uh, works, um, and they will also gain the abilities of Link and Share Spells. Link means um, that the character can handle her animal companion as a free action or push it as a move action, even if you don't have any ranks in the Handle Animal skill. The character also gains a plus four circumstance bonus on all wild empathy checks and handle animal checks made regarding the animal companion. 
So if you need to use wild empathy or animal or handle animal, you will gain a plus four to that, which can be like it can be like a core thing, like to just have a couple ranks and handle animal, because the way that you will actually use your animal companion in combat is not that they get a turn outside of yours. Of course, some GMs can rule it this way um, and you just get to command them. It's that if you want them to do a specific thing, you use a handle animal check to see if you can command them properly and convey that particular order that you want to give. Uh, for instance, the attack uh, the attack trick. It has a DC of 20. The animal attacks apparent enemies. You may point to a particular creature that you wish the animal to attack, and it will comply if able. Normally, an animal only attack humanoids, monstrous humanoids, giants, and other animals. Teaching an animal to attack all creatures, including such unnatural creatures as undead and aberrations, counts as two tricks. That having a DC 20 means that if you want to use that in combat specifically, you're going to have to roll a handle animal check and beat that DC to get the animal to make its attack. This means that having her be having a character able to handle an animal companion as a free action means that you can give it a command to attack as a free action on part of your turn. And that is pretty much core to how animal companions are going to function in combat. Having enough skill points in handle animal to make sure that you will always be able to meet this check is going to be pretty necessary, especially if your GM is going to be a stickler for this kind of role. I know some who say, no, your animal companion, um, if it's intelligent, especially if it's at a three or up, is just going to obey your commands. It's going to do what you want it to do, and you don't need to make this check. Um, but some of them really are a stickler for this kind of thing, especially if you have a, an animal companion that has a particular belligerent kind of personality. So Getting your handle animal up there, especially if you are going to be a druid or a ranger, where that's kind of your class's forte anyway, um, the, the plus four on this is a huge help. The other thing they get at level one is share spells. The druid may cast a spell with the target of you on her animal companion as a touch range spell instead of on herself. A druid may cast spells on her animal companion even if the spells normally do not affect creatures of the companion's type being animal. Spells cast this way must come from, come from a class that grants an animal companion, and this ability does not allow the animal to share abilities that are not spells, even if they are spell-like functions. This one's pretty good. It means any spell that you could cast on yourself, um, you can just cast on your animal companion, regardless of their distance from you. Of course, there's going to be some stipulation on that. You know, Some game masters are going to say, no, your animal companion's literally... 15 miles away back in the stable or wherever you left them, you can't cast that spell on them right now. Um, it, it's, again, going to be a big GM thing. There's a lot of GM fiat going on in uh, the animal companionry. Um, but it allows you to use your animal companions to do some pretty extraordinary things in terms of being able to deliver spells at a larger distance than you would normally be able to, especially buffs and things of that nature. Very helpful that you can use this. At second level, they will have a third hit die. Um, their BAB increases to plus two. Their fortitude save is plus three. Their reflex save is plus three. Their will is plus one. They gain a, another skill and another feat, meaning they can finally start using those things that have BAB 
plus one as their base. Um, they don't gain any special things. Um, the hit dice is going to increase pretty incre incrementally up to being 16 at 20th level. Um, their BAB being plus 12 at 20th level, their fortitude and reflex save being plus 10, the will being plus 5, having 16 skills and 8 feats at 20th level, with their natural armor being plus 12 to whatever their base is, their strength and dex bonus being plus 6 both to whatever their base is, and having 7 bonus tricks. At 3rd level, your animal companion will gain evasion. If an animal companion is subjected to an attack that normally allows a reflex saving throw for half damage, it takes no damage if it makes a successful saving throw. At fourth level, they gain an ability score increase similar to what a character would get, but a little bit less. It's they will only add a plus one to any one of its ability scores. If you're trying to get a particularly intelligent companion and you don't have one yet, you don't have one that's sentient, this can be pretty useful to get early on, especially if their intelligence is two. You can then awaken your animal companion if you don't want to try and track someone down who has awakened animal as a spell or something of that nature. Uh, and it, it'll make your companion much easier to interact with, especially on the part of like your party per se. At 5th level, um, stat increases across the board, as I mentioned. At 6th level, they gain Devotion. An animal companion gains a plus 4 morale on morale bonus on will saves against enchantment spells and effects because they are so devoted to their caretaker. At 7th and 8th level, they just gain their stat increases. At ninth level, they gain an ability score increase as well as multi-attack meaning they will gain um, the multi-attack bonus feat if it has three or more natural attacks and does not already have the feat. If it does not have the requisite three or more natural attacks, the companion instead gains a second attack with its primary natural weapon, albeit at a minus five penalty. Multi-attack is a feat that reduces penalties for using... Um, I'm sorry... Um, the creature's secondary attack with natural weapons will only take a minus two penalty instead of the normal minus five. So it means your multiple hits from that animal companion are going to be much more likely to hit because that is adding plus three basically to what they would have been doing normally. They, ain't, they then don't get anything else special until the 14th level when they get another ability score increase, increase. Sorry, And then at 15th level, they gain improved evasion when subjected to an attack that normally allows a reflex saving throw for half damage. An animal companion takes no damage if it makes a successful saving throw and only half damage if the throw fails. And then at 15th, or I'm sorry, um, well, actually doesn't get anything else until 20th level where it gains its last ability score increase. This is all for animal companions such as what druids or um, rangers may get. And it's a little different than what people think. A lot of the time, the way it is meant to be played is that your animal companion, basically with the link ability, you will gain a free action to command your animal companion to do something on your turn. And that is how they interact with things in combat. Of course, outside of combat, you're role-playing it as another character, and it can do things kind of on its own power as it would normally. Familiars are somewhat similar, somewhat different. Um, a familiar not only is a kind of animal companion, um, but they also give bonuses to the person who the familiar is con or in control of. For instance, a bat, uh, their master gains a plus three bonus on all fly checks. A cat, the master gains a plus three bonus on all stealth checks. A king crab, 
The max regains a plus two bonus on combat maneuver bonus checks to start and maintain a grapple. Weird thing for a wizard to have. I'm not going to judge. Maybe you're just a real swole wizard who likes to grapple people. You like wrestling. You're the wrestling wizard. You went to Bufflepuff when you went to Hogwarts. The familiars gain some different abilities they're not necessarily meant to be used in combat so much they're not supposed to be like the bear who can kind of run into combat and take a few hits and take things on the cheek in order to protect their master the familiar is more meant to be a utility more than anything at the master's class level through first and second they will have plus one natural armor and intelligence of six meaning all familiars are immediately fully intelligent creatures and they have these special abilities of alertness, improved evasion, share spells, and empathic link. We've gone over improved evasion and share spells already. Alertness, while a familiar is within arm's reach, the master gains the alertness feat. That means you gain a plus two bonus on perception and sense motive skill checks. If you have 10 or more ranks in one of these skills, the bonus increases to plus four for that skill, which is to say that your, your familiar is helping keep an eye on the situation and things around you and alerting you of strange goings on empathic link the master has an empathic link to his familiar to a one mile distance the master can communicate empathically with the familiar but cannot see through its eyes because of the link's limited nature only general emotions can be shared the master has the same connection to an item or place that his familiar does so in this way you can kind of give commands but not really full verbal sentences like you can give kind of an impression of something you want your familiar to do from a distance without necessarily having to speak with it at third and fourth level their natural armor increases to plus two their intelligence is seven they gain deliver touch spells if the master is third level or higher a familiar can deliver touch spells for him if the master and the familiar are in contact at the time the master casts a touch spell he can designate his familiar as the toucher the familiar can then deliver the touch spell just as the master would. As usual, if the master casts another spell before the touch spell is delivered, the touch spell dissipates. Something I see a lot of confusion on, and we're not going to spend too much time on this because this is the animal companion and not spells and spell casting and Pathfinder. But the way a touch spell works is that you will use the action to cast the touch spell, meaning the spell is then cast and you basically just have for lack of a better term, a charge on your character. And then as a free action, you can then attempt to touch something, which will then discharge the spell. It's not necessarily part of the action that you're touching something. So you could, in reasonable effect, cast the spell, move, and then because you have a free action to try and touch something, then touch something. What this does is allow you to basically do just that, only instead of you as a squishy mage who maybe necessarily doesn't have a whole lot in martial prowess, to say instead, maybe this viper I keep on my body at all times, who is very good at biting people in the ankles, could deliver this spell for me. Can be very useful if you have very fast familiars or very stealthy familiars who are really good at getting in and out of places quickly, especially as kind of a form of assassination, perhaps. At 5th and 6th level, you will gain Speak with Master. If the Master is 5th level or higher, a familiar and the Master can communicate verbally as if they were using a common language. Other creatures do not understand the communication without magical help. And then at the next upgrade, at level 7, 
it gains speak with animals of its kind. If the master is seventh level or higher, a familiar can communicate with animals of approximately the same kind of itself, including the dire varieties, bats with bats, cats with felines, hawks and owls with ravens and birds, uh, lizards and snakes with reptiles, monkeys with other simians, rats with rodents, toads with amphibians, and weasels with ermines and minks. Such communication is limited by the intelligence of the conversing creatures. So while you may use, be able to use your familiar as a method of translation between you and this rat you found, maybe that rat's not necessarily very smart and maybe kind of an idiot. At 11th level, they gain spell resistance. If the master is 11th level or higher, a familiar gains spell resistance equal to the master's level plus 5. To affect the familiar with a spell, another spellcaster must get a result on a caster level check, 1d20 plus caster level, that equals or exceeds the familiar spell resistance, meaning your familiar is then going to be very hard to target with spells, uh, taking a lot of the ouch out of having them in combat. And then at 13th level, you gain scry on familiar. At 13th level or higher, he may the master may scry on his familiar as if casting the scrying spell once per day to allow them to know where it is and the goings-on around it. If a familiar is destroyed, it can be replaced one week later through a specialized ritual that costs 200 gold per wizard level and takes 8 hours to complete. So be a little careful with your familiars because if you lose them, it can be a costly endeavor to replace them. You can gain animal companions, especially if they are intelligent ones, in ways that aren't necessarily class-related. Um, for instance, um, dogs and horses that you may have bought from a merchant um, and things that don't have class features that don't normally advance. If extraordinary circumstances merit uh, one of these creatures gaining hit dice and you have animal, handle animal ranks and take an interest in training the animal, you can use the same guidelines for animal companions um, in terms, but you have to invest a significant amount of time in, you know, making sure you have handle animal ranks and then taking the time to actually train the animal. Um, this isn't for things like horses or, you know, dogs that may just follow you around or something. These are for like the specific animal companions um, in terms of using other animals that you may have an alliance with in terms of this animal dislikes you or you've bought this dog or you have this horse. If you're going to use them in combat, you do have to use the handle animal skill and have to have properly trained them, which does take some downtime to do in order to command them properly in battle. And this usually takes an exceptionally long period of time and effort to accomplish, which is what makes it good for downtime, things that could happen between sessions. Intelligent animals are, of course, a lot easier to work with, assuming they like you. Um, but that's mostly going to be it for this week. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Our socials are going to be facebook.com slash d20dudes if you want to find us on Facebook, twitter.com slash d20dudes, or at d20dudes on Twitter if you want to hit us up on there. As always, we've got a Discord link down in the description. Our Discord is open to everyone if you want to join us there. Um, feel free to pop in and say hi, and we're going to roll that magical d20 and see what next week's topic is going to be. Oh, sorry. Uh, it is number two on the die, and this is going to be about J.R.R. Tolkien's influence on tabletop RPGs, which is an interesting thing to come up. You 
you think a lot about tabletop RPGs, about what orcs and kobolds are and what goblins look like, and you've got a certain image in your head, and those images may have come specifically from J.R.R. Tolkien and the way he wrote orcs, goblins, and things like kobolds and other creatures of that nature. And that influenced Dungeons and Dragons and then the gaming community as a whole. So we'll talk about that a little bit next week. Thank you all for listening, and we will catch you in that episode. See you later.